1: wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to the left wing. So five tries, including a most memorable one from Centurion, Keith Earls, saw Ireland beat England 29 points to 10 at the Viva Stadium yesterday. There is an injury concern over Dan Sheehan, who picked up a foot injury but um, Ireland will fly out to be Ritz today to play Samoa this weekend in their last warm-up game before the World Cup begins. Rory O'Connor and uh, Keane Tracy are here with me. Rory, morning after the night before, overall, how do you reflect on that performance, from Ireland last night?
2: Yeah, it was. I think it was a you know a six or seven out of ten overall. You know, a lot of mistakes, a lot of you know lost lineouts and and. I think Andy Farrell described the Italy game as, as a clunky performance. I think he said it was a lot of the good, the bad, and the ugly yesterday. I think that summed up wh- where they were for 75-odd minutes of yesterday. And then in five moments of attacking brilliance, they showed why Ireland are genuine contenders for this World Cup. They uh, they elevated themselves above the mediocrity and above a, a very mediocre England team with moments of attacking class. And in particular, moments of attacking class from their back line and their back th- I thought Mack Hansen and James Lowe were the stars of the show. They looked really sharp. They looked you know, on their game. They threatened England. They caused England problems. England just didn't know how to handle them as they popped up off their wings. And they, um, the, that, that just showed where Ireland can get to when they put it all together. And they know they can fix the, the line-out issues you know, over the next couple of weeks, even though there have been a, a couple of examples of the same errors repeating themselves over the last... You know the, the last couple of games, which is a bit of a cause for concern, but nothing they can't iron out with a bit of work on the training field. And then that kind of preseason feel that had gone throughout was was lifted into a different uh, stratosphere by Keith Earls, who went into a different stratosphere himself as he hurdled three three players to to flip. You know, with a brilliant uh, finish, to Bundyaki's sublime pass. You know, he should get some credit for that. It was a, it was a great piece of vision from him to see Earls on the wing. And just, you know, I think I wrote in the paper today that that he, you know, the glass was about to shatter in the Aviva Stadium, such was the noise. You know, it was a it was an incredible moment for a player who deserved it, but also gave the team something. Andy Farrell builds a lot of these occasions around these big moments for players, you know, having their hundredth caps. It gave that sense of occasion to them as they sent you know, as they basically bid farewell to Ireland and headed to France. I know they'll be back for a couple of days before they go to the World Cup proper, but this was their send off. And by giving Earls Putting arrows on the bench, then providing with a try, it was almost like Farrell had written the script for their for their their big send off. And by the end, there was a real cause, you know sense of celebration in the stadium, and the players sail off into the sunset with the hopes and dreams of a nation on their backs. And England limp into another couple of disciplinary hearings this week with a major question marks. And you know which which country you'd rather be supporting mm-hmm. at this cup right now.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it was an incredible try, Keen, wasn't it? Uh, From Keith Earls. It was like the try that was heard around the world. I've never heard noise. Uh, Fans gathered in absolute unity and outpouring of absolute joy for this man. It was an incredible and really, truly memorable moment at the Viva Stadium yesterday.
1: Yeah, it was it was really special to be there and hear it live. I haven't seen it back on TV yet, so I'm really curious to hear if if you actually. Well, I can't stop watching
0: it. I came home last night and I watched it back so many times that try. I just thought it was and amazing. And did it come
1: across in terms of the noise that you actually felt yeah. in the stadium? Because, like we've all been in the Aviva Stadium over the years. Like I've been at plenty of irish football matches as well and while the football team haven't given the country as much to cheer about the men's team that is anyway um there have been some big nights at the aviva with some loud roars but that was right up there for a guy like you said sinéad who is just so so popular amongst his teammates um and that's been clear for a while but also so popular amongst the, the irish public it's not just i think Munster fans people from limerick um it was interesting, you know, during the warm up, they called out the teams and Earls got a massive roar. And then before kickoff, when the teams were being named out again, he got a huge roar. And then, of course, he led the team out onto the pitch with his three daughters. And what a special moment that would have been. He spoke brilliantly. He was up for interview in the press conference after the match. and we'll have a piece online and and in tomorrow's paper and he just spoke about the the emotion of the whole week but what an ovation he got when he ran onto the pitch with his three daughters um then when he came onto the pitch itself the noise levels went up it set, went up again when he came on for James Lowe and i suppose it reached a, a crescendo like rod kind of describes there in terms of his finish in the corner i think he was a little bit embarrassed by the by the somersault the moment kind of took over really and what a moment it was and um, it was just yeah a real treat to be there to witness it live and we were touching on this in Thursday's podcast Sinead like I never got the sense that this was a bit of a sympathy thing from Andy Farrell that he was really keen to get like while he might have been keen for Earl to get to 100 caps I don't I, I still firmly believe he is in uh, Ireland's plans for the World Cup and okay it was only a short enough cameo but it was a brilliant finish and um I don't know there's such a big groundswell of support behind him he had such a tough season last year with injury but he looks sharp like he's 35 but he looks sharp the way he finished that try he still had work to do Rudd is right to highlight Bundyaki's pass I think it was a real frustration I think of Bundyaki I think Robbie Henshaw fell into this bracket as well maybe under the previous regime where he got kind of branded maybe as a bit of a flat track bully crash ball merchant you know but Bundyaki a good passer of the ball you think back to cj standards try and tweaking him in 2018 for the grand slam game so bundyaki has that in his locker now it was an exceptional pass he had plenty of time and space but um it's indicative i think of the approach that andy farrell wants from his players he's given them the license to to play these passes to to get to with and you saw the damage that Ireland caused um, England out wide, like Rudd is kind of touching it. The back three were unbelievable. I mean, between Hugo Keane and James Lowe and Matt Hansen, I was just looking at it, they made 40 carries and 197 metres. Um, just remarkable stuff, really. And you compare that to what England were doing in their one-dimensional approach and just kicking the ball long. And even when they were doing that, they didn't really seem to be in tune on the same page so um while it wasn't perfect by any means from Ireland's point of view I actually thought some of their attacking play was so so encouraging for this stage of the season what are we there was 12 players making their first starts of the season and like Rudd said it's still five weeks out to that spring box game you don't want it to be perfect now but I thought there was so much so many encouraging signs there building into the World Cup.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And um, Rory, I know you. I know you have expressed kind of doubts before. You didn't know whether Keith Earls would travel, would make that final thirty-three. Surely, there's no doubt now.
2: I think there's still a, a little bit you of think? doubt. I mean, yeah, yeah I've I oscillated but you know, I, I look. Keane wrote about it this in, on on the, the site on Saturday, and, and I wrote about it early in the week as well. It's it, it's a numbers game. It's whether he goes with nineteen forwards or eighteen forwards, and whether he goes with fourteen backs or fifteen backs. And if he goes with fourteen backs. Then he's choosing between, in my book, anyway, and I think I think Keane agrees with this. It's going to be Frawley, McCluskey, Earls, or Stockdale. Whereas if he goes with fifteen backs, he can take uh, Frawley or or McCluskey and Earls or Stockdale. And if it's a straight shoot between Earls and Stockdale, Earls goes. I think based on the body work that he's put in and the fact that Stockdale just hasn't done it during this this World Cup cycle. And, and I think Earls, you know, Farrell prizes big moments, and, and Farrell would have really enjoyed what 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 Earls brought on on Saturday, but also. Is, you know, prizes what he brings and and the players really admire him. If it's between the four of them, considering who Ireland are playing and considering that moment in the previous game, you know, where Menachella runs over Keith Earls, I think that was damaging because I don't know if you can put him in the centre against one of the bigger teams. So if he goes 14, and look, if if sorry, if he goes 18-15, as in eighteen forwards and fifteen backs, I think Earls has a real, sh- you know, it will go. If it's nineteen fourteen, I think he's in a, he's in a real battle because of the, you know, you're playing Tonga, South Africa, Scotland, and McCluskey at a very good Six Nations. Um, uh, my my instinct has always been that he's going to go nineteen fourteen, but but I know Keen's more leaning towards 18-15, I think, um, and and Farrell may go may go that way, but. Um, I don't know if it's it's guaranteed, but it is very hard to leave him out after yesterday. And I can see why you would bring. Him. I, I wouldn't in any way complain or, or criticize the decision to take him. Um, if he if he does go eighteen fourteen or sorry eighteen fifteen, I'm getting myself mixed up with the numbers. I think Prendergast misses out probably. but then I wondered why Prendergast would get a start in that scenario. But I guess if they're concerned over Jack Conan, they wanted to give Keane Prendergast a good long shift against a tier one up opponent at a full of Eva stadium so he has that experience banked so um, they won't have any doubt i thought Prendergast largely went well yesterday so they can kind of have faith in that so faith in him so if they cut him loose they say to him you're one injury away and we know you're ready so you know farrell's a smart enough um coach to kind of put to, to kind of you know manage that situation as well so my gut right now and this changes every day is that earls will travel But I don't think it's 100% just yet. And and Farrell said they'll have a couple of conversations this week, although he said it was a bit up in the air how they were going to do it. It sounds like they'll make the decision on the squad before they play Samoa and Bayon next Saturday and then announce it afterwards. So um, it's going to be very interesting. But we're still talking about three positions, really, three or four positions around the edges. It's such a settled uh, kind of group of 29-30, and you could see that in the way Ireland played.
0: Do you agree with that Keane? And also just on Keane Prendergast, how do you feel he went last night? Obviously, you know, he had the ball ripped off him in the opening minutes there, but how did you feel he played his way into the game then afterwards?
1: I thought it was a bit of a mixed bag if if I'm being honest. Um he got stripped in contact you originated a couple of times, but then again he came up with some big tackles, one particular one on Jamie George. He came up with a a big turnover. Look, I can see why Andy Farrell and the coaches like him. He really puts himself about and and you know, tries to involve himself in the play. If I'm being honest, did I think it was the kind of performance where it nailed his place on the plane? I didn't, um, if, I, if, if I'm being truthful. Um, I agree with what Rudd is saying. I actually think, again, it's the numbers game, but I think it comes down to Stuart McCloskey or Kean Prendergast for that sort of last position on the plane, which might sound mad, but what I mean is if they go with 19 forwards, then I think Kean Prendergast is, well, he pretty much is nailed on if they go 19 forwards, but... If they decide to go for 18 forwards, then my sense would be that Keane Prendergast might be the one who gets squeezed out, and then Stuart McCloskey goes with Keith Earls. I think Keith Earls is, in my opinion, comfortably ahead of Jacob Stockdale. Um, Kieran Frawley, look, we know how much the Ireland coaches like him, but we just haven't got to see enough of him. The World Cup just might come a little bit too soon for him, so uh, yeah, I think it's between McCloskey and... And Prendergast, like I said, for that last spot. And if if he goes for the extra forward, then Prendergast will be there. I I do agree with Rod that I think the fact he got a start in like that was the biggest warm up game, and um, the fact he got a start at number eight was quite telling. But you know, I came away from the the Italy game, and even I have to say off the bench as well, like Joe McCarthy's performance against Italy. I thought, wow, that's you know that guy has really put himself in a strong position to make the plane. I didn't quite come away with that sense from Keane Prendergast last night. I have a nagging sense as well that he might be better suited to to blind side. Still, I know he played number eight a lot for Connacht, but I don't know. I, I would I would have slight concerns. You'd you'd be going down the depth chart, but if you were if Keane Prendergast was starting at number eight against um, a South Africa or in you know, a World Cup quarter final, I'm I'm not quite sure if he's bulky enough um to do the the work that uh Caelan Daris and a Jack Conan do who and they're so important obviously to the way Ireland play so like it was a, it was a decent showing Sinead um just to sort of conclude the point it was a decent showing but I'd say he'll still be sitting nervously wondering if he's going to be on the plane or not
0: yeah um I think Rory you mentioned there as well obviously one of the problem areas was the line out I mean it's not World Cup ready at the moment but like is this you know we're going to just assume that they will get it right when it needs to be right
2: yeah and they can't do that they they need to it looked like maybe it wasn't their 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 full focus over the last couple of weeks that it's kind of I'm sure they've scheduled different blocks for different um, times where they're going to you know hone in on their various areas but like the majority of Ireland's tries come off the line out so it needs to be humming by the time they play South Africa and we know how Defensively strong, South Africa is. So that you know, if anyone's going to shut down that Irish attack, it's going to be the you know the box will have the best chance of doing it because Jack ninabar you can have no doubt has done years of research into what they're doing and, and will have put a lot of um a lot of stuff you know a lot of effort into it and you know look you don't have to what look at what happened in Cardiff yesterday to know that you know Ireland are not the only ones who were you know you know showing nicely ahead of this World Cup. There's all the teams on the Irish side of the draw are are, are looking good. So, um. Like, Paul O'Connell is an excellent forwards coach. We know he's a diligent, uh, very you know, he w- you know he will have um, had a pretty rough night's sleep, I'd say, last night, having watched what happened. World Rugby are hot on two things right now in terms of penalties. You're not allowed to leave the... The, 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 the attacking team is not allowed to leave the line out early in order to hit the, the mall early. So that wasn't what they were punished for yesterday. That's one thing World Rugby, are, are, are the referees are hot on. The other one is the lifter getting in front of the lifted player. And that's mm. what Ireland keep giving the penalties exactly, away. For yeah. Double banking, I think it's called. And that's that's something to that keep falling foul of the referees. And I know James Ryan was frustrated by it yesterday, but um they they gotta they gotta manage that. They you know that's that's something they have to fix. But like also there was like balls sailing over the top. You know, there was throws that didn't connect. She and Anne Herring, you know Herring had that crooked line out the Ben Earl. I don't know, I presume everyone has seen the clip of Ben Earl celebrating as if he's just won the World Cup because you know Rob Herring threw a crooked throw and he was his team were twenty points down. But it was um you know that's stuff like you know herring's a good line thrower so is dan and we can trust them i think at this stage of their careers to, to figure that stuff out and for a, a team to the, the positive part of it is that four years ago in twickenham rory best troll went to absolute you know went to muck and twickenham and ireland conceded 50 odd points yesterday ireland's lineup w- went to pot and and they didn't bother them like you know they just it was just a matter they didn't win by more so and i um, like it was it will be fixed. I, w- I would assume. If it if it's not fixed, they're not going to win the World Cup. That's that's a pretty a pivotal thing. But I, I would have full faith in them to do it. They
1: they have to they have to problem solve better though. You've kind of touched on this, yeah. Rod. To me, to me, it reminded me of the scrum in Twickenham in last year's Six Nations. Remember, and Reynal came out afterwards and he'd said that look, there was a couple of decisions where I got wrong, but the Ireland coaches and the players themselves. Remember, Dan Sheehan was pretty good in this that. You know they have to get better at at adapting to the referee and problem solving on the hoof because if that's a World Cup quarter final and you get knocked out there's no point in afterwards saying we should have done this, we should have done that and James Ryan was very honest in in what he said, like for that double banking penalty he clearly didn't agree that it was like he felt um England had actually spun Ireland into that position. But England might have done that. And if they did, then that was really clever dark arts play by England. But Ireland have to be better at counteracting that. Because like I said, they're getting these lessons now in the warm-up games, which is great because if you want to get them now so you make sure it doesn't happen in France. But like John Fogarty, the scrum coach, was even speaking about this earlier this week that he felt that the players had become much better at problem-solving You know, when they're in the thick of it. But these line-out issues, it happened throughout the game. and. Like it was a little bit concerning. I think that no one was there to be able to kind of steady the ship. I do, I do
2: think like one thing England didn't do a lot brilliantly yesterday, but one thing they did very, very well was compete, and that I think Farrell said like it was a really good dry run for what the box will do to them. So you know it's all well and good hitting your man under no pressure out in the Algarve when you're in training, but you've got Maro Tulsi, Courtney Laws, David Ribbons going up hard against you, being lifted by big men. You know that that asked Ireland some questions, and I guess that's part of what the the, the these games are about is being made you know put under pressure and seen how you deal with it so they'll take something from that as well and like i thought england contested very well like a lot of the issues came from pressure that came on from, from england and um that only you know they, they should they should adapt to that so they're ready for it when Scotland and South Africa and everyone else go, goes after them in a couple of weeks time
1: the coaches I think have been very good at that because even if you remember back to the first test in New Zealand last year there was a few issues around the scrum and the set piece as well and they clearly had eradicated them come the second test so um I would totally agree with you I'd say Paul O'Connell probably stayed up all night pouring over the footage so I would have faith that they will get it right but like Rudd said that box, I mean, that box defense is unbelievable, but also their, their line out is so good as well with all the options they have. So, look, they're getting they're getting the warning signs now and I suppose it's just about making sure they heed them.
0: Yeah, it does kind of feel like they are um, concentrating on other elements of their game at the moment and that that, that area will come. Um, before we go on to England, and they've got obviously a, a pretty busy week on the disciplinary front uh, coming up for them, just on Ross uh what is your summation of the way he performed last night and where is he now in the number two number three for the number 10
2: i would think he's in andy farrell's mind he's probably a nose in front but i don't think there's a huge amount of distance between them and i think what jack crowley has in his locker is that he came on yesterday 12 having moved to 15 in the last game and played started at 10 in the previous game and and while ross went well yesterday um you know, it, did, it wasn't perfect by any means. Like all the players, he had it, he had his moments, uh, good and bad. You know, I think he he was fairly calm. I, th- I thought he was actually very good in the second half. He wasn't as, he wasn't brilliant in the first half, but he, he controlled things well in the second half. Obviously, there was a couple of missed kicks, which will annoy him. Um, but what he doesn't have, the crowd he does have, is that bit of versatility off the bench, and that's very very important when it comes to, to test match or to any any level of rugby, really, especially when you're that number twenty two shirt and as keen has alluded to a couple of times they like to pick a you know a, a center in 23 so that um that bit of versatility could serve Crowdy very well in france in the coming weeks but i don't think Rossburn did himself any damage yesterday i don't think he massively enhanced his, his case either but i thought he was he was quite calm he, he delivered a couple of lovely passes a few went to ground um but again it's his first game since the highland cup final in, in may you know the, there was going to be mistakes He's going to the World Cup. At one stage, there was a bit of a frisson you know that that, that maybe Froyley could come out on the outside and, and pip him, but that was never really going to happen. I think that that those three are, are were always going to go and and like he's closed out big games for Ireland in 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 the last year. You know, think of that France game. It was still in the balance when Johnny Sexton came off. That you know it was Ross Byrne and Craig Casey who grabbed the hold of that game and guided it home, and and that has earned them huge credit. I do think the Heineken Cup final damaged him because of the, the way it went and and the, particularly the last 10 minutes and the drop goal and all that sort of stuff but you know andy farrell is very uh emphatic and when he says that this is a different team like ireland and, and lens are different setups and and he has a lot of credit no not a lot he has a he has credit in the bank but he does have a, a rival who's coming up hot on the outside and obviously they're still Sexton to come back into the mix as well so you know i look he's going he's still in a, he's still in, I think it's it's a it's a pretty a sixty forty in his favor at this stage. But Crowley may get the nod against Samoa, and if he gets the nod against Samoa and he goes well, then that puts more pressure on Rossburn. But I guess it's up to Rossburn to 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 respond to that in training.
0: Okay, uh, before we go, just a word on England as well. Obviously, Owen Farrell was there yesterday, sitting in the stands, and he's his disciplinary hearing. Billy Vunapola obviously, as well for his red card, and Andrew Porter. I thought when uh, Steve Borthwick came into the post-match press conference last night, he looked rattled. I thought he had a haunted look on him and there was an interested observer, obviously, there. there uh, Casey, Q in the press conference as well last night. Uh, Bouquin, yeah, how the hell are they going to turn this around before their opening game against Argentina with everything else going on?
1: Yeah, look, you wouldn't fancy being an English rugby fan at the moment. It's clear the template that Steve Borthwick was going to play with was always pretty clear. If you watched the way that Leicester had played and won the the premiership, but that was a really poor premiership um, that Leicester won. And look, he's from the Eddie Jones kind of school. So like anyone who thought England were going to be playing exciting like, rugby with Borthwick coming in was sadly mistaken. Not that I think many English fans probably would, but if you're going to play that style of play, look, it's, it's, it's similar enough to kind of what Munster were trying to do under Johan van Graan. Like it's kick heavy, but the box have done it really well over the years. Like they won the world cup in 2019. I know they did lots of other good things really well as well, but, The kicking was so poor yesterday. So many of the the contestables were far too deep. They went after Matt Hansen, um, who dealt with, I think, pretty much everything that England threw at him. Hugo Keenan was a rock, as always, at the back. The chasers were really, really poor, I thought, from England's point of view as well. And... I mean, since Borthwick has come in, they have looked totally rudderless in attack. I mean, we speak so much about the shape. And again, it was so clear to see what Ireland were doing. But you kind of come away from the the game wondering like, what the attack coach, what the attacking system is that, that England are trying to play. But as we keep coming back to Sinead, they're on the good side of the draw. And Rudd has touched on this, how well everyone in Ireland's side of the draw is playing. And you kind of look at the flip side and you still think that... It's not impossible to imagine England getting to a World Cup semi-final, which is bizarre really. Now, I still think they're going to have to improve massively if they're gonna if they're gonna do that. But like so many of their players are shadows of their former selves. Um like Maru Atoje, Billy Vunapola. Obviously he got sent off, but like he's just not the same player he was. Um you look through the back line, I mean, we're speaking so much about how electric Ireland's back three were, but we saw very little from Freddie Stewart, from Anthony Watson, you know, just just really blunt. Um, so, yeah, they've got a lot of problems. I mean, we're, we're kind of picking holes in Ireland's performance here about stuff around the line out and little things here and there. But England have so many problems on their hand, like their whole preparation for this game was obviously significantly hindered by Owen Farrell. That's been dragged into next week. Now Billy Vunapola is going to be in as well. And you had Bortwick kind of saying that pretty sarcastically you'd have to say that he hopes both of the decisions will be you know, fixed next week. So um, England's preparations going into the World Cup are not good at all. And while they could easily crash and burn in the pool stages, it would probably be typical of them to somehow put out a performance at some stage and maybe even get to a World Cup semi-final and look if Ireland were to get past the, uh, the out of the pool stages and into a quarter-final, they could potentially meet England in a semi-final and certainly they'd have nothing to fear but there's a lot of water to cross under the bridge from there but it's bleak enough I think for England
0: yeah no, it sure is um Worry you've got to do a bit of packing now because you are off to uh you're flying out to Beirut's tomorrow is that right
2: yeah yeah it's a tough gig <laughs> this is uh, you know, we were all very upset when the RFU put this one in the calendar yeah so the, the games in Bayon but they they're staying in Bayreths um so yeah going out there tomorrow via bordeaux and they're kind of the the whole thing that they're, they're talking about is they're replicating a world cup week this is part of the plan it's an RFU fixture it's an RFU home game they're they're paying for everything they're you know that they, they wanted this game against i think there's a seems to be some suggestion out there that this is some sort of imposition on ireland and obviously going back to Bayonne has um you know, brings back flashbacks to two thousand seven and the Battle of Bayonne when Brian O'Driscoll was decked by a Kiwi forward by a you know when they took on Bayon, but I I I think they're hoping that Samoa don't want to get anyone suspended either a week out from the or two out for the World Cup. So um but it's gonna be an interesting week because the you know Farrell and the management will be picking the squad as we go. It's obviously the last chance anyone has to impress in training. Um as I say, they're, they're kind of replicating like they're doing you know accreditation. they're moving on Sunday because that's when they'll be moving at the world cup. They're doing everything they can to leave no stone unturned for the tournament. So it hopefully will have a world cup feel about it. It'd be nice to get a sense of how the French are feeling about the tournament as well. Um and I think Samoa will be, be another little road test for them and like the, the, they should be better for some than Samoa. Um but you know it, Samoa have have recruited a, a couple of pretty significant players over the last while. They're going better than Tonga who Ireland play in the pool stages. So it'll be a it'll be a decent international for them. And you just hope, I suppose we're all hoping that the, the news on Don, Dan Sheehan is good and that they get through it unscathed because it's obviously there's a danger there as well against a you know a, a powerful Samoan team that you could run into a, a few difficulties. So it's all about getting through it unscathed because they're looking pretty good at the moment.
0: Yeah, sorry. Bring us up to date on Dan Sheehan. We meant to get to that at the start of the, yeah, the of course. You I mean, um, reported on it last night, you had it in your report, that he left the Viva Stadium on crutches.
2: And in a, in a protective mm-hmm. boot. And often yeah. that's precautionary. Like, that's not necessarily a cause for alarm. It looks... You know, I think if one of us was going around in a protective boot, it'd be quite serious. But they often just put them in just to kind of lessen the lessen the load on it. But when Andy Farrell said he lost power in his foot, firstly, it echoes exactly what he said about Jack Conan. And they, 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 it does sound like Jack Conan's going to make it. But that's a five-week gap between... Because he's not going to play against Samoa. So that's a five-week gap between the, the Italy game and the first game of the World Cup. So... If you're looking at five weeks for Dan Sheehan, if you're, you know, a rule of thumb, then you're, you know, you're looking at South Africa. So you, you may miss the first two games, and then there's a decision to be made. And that's obviously that's probably a, an optimistic scenario. In this, you know, a foot can be very tricky. So if you're if he's going to miss the first two games, then you go, okay, can we carry him? And then you look at your other hookers, and you got Ronan Keller at the moment out with a hamstring injury, and they've been very quiet on that hamstring injury. But I now, think now,
0: what is the story there? Like when. If- it-
2: We don't know when he picked it up. We don't. We know he hasn't been training fully. Um, he won't be available against Samoa either, so he won't have played since. Did he play? Did he miss the tail end of the season as well? I I think. I think he might. He missed a fair chunk of last season. He's had a very checkered last couple of years. Um. So do you sacrifice Ronan Kelleher and bring Tom Stewart, who's have no injury issues and has played, and Rob Herring, and you put Rob Herring in to start, and like that might be harsh on Ronan Kelleher but you can't carry two guys who are struggling with injuries in many ways. So that's a. Like I don't think they're gonna bring four hookers. I know South Africa have picked four scrum halves, but I don't see them bringing four hookers. It's maybe I know Keane Healy can play there at a push. You probably you could play anyone there against Romania at the moment. Romania are terrible. Like Romania are losing games by big scores, and and like they could play me, me at hooker against Romania, they'd be fine. So like i um, you know, with the, like they, they they can get through that one pretty easily. But once they hit Tonga, they they gotta be good. And there's a concern there about bringing both of those players.
1: We all become um, kind of body language experts in in these <laughs> scenarios, Sinead. But I thought Andy Farrell was pretty downbeat. I have to say on Dan on Sheehan Dan when Sinead. he was asked, yeah, I, I you know, yeah, he said same. he lost power in that. But I just, just reading his body language, I, I, I think Ireland are worried about him. I mean, why wouldn't you be? I, I heard Jerry Flannery describing him as the the best hooker in the world, and a lot of people would agree with that. Um, so I, I have a funny, not a funny feeling. I have a sense that Ireland are really concerned hopefully it doesn't prove to be as serious as what they might think and it was telling that Andy Farrell mentioned Dear Barron as well I thought in the press conference so Dear Barron has already been training with Ireland earlier on in pre-season um even though he wasn't added to the extended squad, but I wouldn't be surprised if Dear Barron is on the plane today to to be going to France, being involved in training this week. Um that's not any information I have, but just going off Andy Farrell, what Andy Farrell was yeah. saying, I would not be surprised if Munster's hooker is, if the Munster Hooker is there. And he'd be he'd be
2: just a huge loss because he's one of the players that elevates Ireland to that that, that level that they're at. You know, him, Doris sexton you know there's a number of them ring rows. there's like she is that like you know the two tri- tries he scored in the heineken champions cup final were you know beyond what most players can do he is you know he's he's different he, he offers something different to everyone else in the game really there's a couple one or two hookers that get close to him but i do think he is the best in the game and you know if you don't have his explosive pace you know he scored two tries in the grand slam game against england when ireland were struggling as well so you know it, it they have good hookers but they've no one else who can who can do what he does so he will be a significant loss if they weren't able to call upon him it, you know I, I, you can understand why Farrell is worried and I'd echo what Keane said I thought Farrell looked quite downbeat and um, although Sheehan himself trotted off you know so that was I, I, you know that is a good sign as well that he wasn't you know he wasn't on a stretcher or anything but obviously these things can show up differently so one to watch and, and I, that is a one black mark on the on the day.
0: Yeah, no, sure is. And we wait to see what the prognosis on that is. OK, Rory and Keane, thank you for that and enjoy the week in uh, in France, Rory. Thank you. Uh, we'll be getting all the updates from you over there. Uh, will and Luke will be here on Tuesday with a review of that game and looking ahead to that final World Cup warm-up game next weekend is as well. It's all getting very real now. But for now, thanks
2: for listening.
1: This is an Irish
0: independent podcast.